Mark chapter 5, verse 33 to 6, verse 6. Jesus uh, has been in Capernaum and he's been, he's been around the synagogue and this is where Jairus comes and asks him to come and heal his daughter. And while he's going to heal the daughter of Jairus, um, somebody, a, a woman touches Jesus, the hem of his garment, and he turns around and says, Who has touched me? And uh, he eventually draws her out of the crowd and says, You're free. And meanwhile, Jairus' daughter has died. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, Why are all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was twelve years old. At this they were completely astonished and gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives and his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Father, as we read your word, we read so much about ourselves. And we also read about you. And we ask that you would just teach us that we might learn from those who have gone before. Lord, we are a people who desire so much to be amazed by you. And we, we have this tug of war in us where we find it so hard to believe for what we do not yet see. We just ask your Holy Spirit to rise up and raise up in us today a deeper faith, a deeper hunger, a deeper expectancy of all it is that you have. We want to be more than Nazareth, Lord. But we need your help. And so we invite you to teach us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, um, you probably gather we're talking about faith. And as you saw from that little clip about Noah, I think it captures well what faith is. It's believing and enduring, starting with one board and building an ark when there's no rain in sight, because God has told you to do it. That's the difference between the naming and claiming. It's God's Spirit giving His word for a time, 
that is what uh, builds faith. Not just crossing our fingers and quoting scripture. That's sort of superstition. It doesn't work very well. So we're thinking this morning about uh, faith to believe God for things we maybe don't yet see. And the sort of cliche is uh, asking God to change our paradigms. It's a wonderful word. It's used a lot in business. And I think it's being used more and more in the church. Our paradigm is basically the way we see the world and the way we see things. And our paradigms actually discern, dis, uh, dis, uh, define what we believe and what we expect and what we think. And one of the uh, keys when, when one's coming into the Christian faith is to recognize that my paradigm is not the same as God's. So I start from the premise of going, he sees differently to me. So I'm not surprised when I bump up against his stuff that I'm kind of uncomfortable or awkward or out of my depth. That's kind of what I would expect. Imagine you're walking behind somebody uh, who has a stick on their back and they say to you, uh, you're quite safe with me. And you don't feel safe at all because you're walking through this unknown territory and this person is telling you to trust them and they've got nothing to protect you from your perspective until there is a rustling and some wild animal comes out and they take the stick off their back and they shoot it and there's a smoking stick and suddenly you've seen something you've never seen before and a power you've never seen before. You can imagine people who lived in this part of the world when the great um, fleets or the, the ships anyway would come from the first world for the first time and they were introduced to a world that was very, very different. And maybe that's something about what Jesus is like. Jesus coming up the inlet, if you will, of our lives from the new world. His, his, his is the old world. And where we've lived in our primitive state, in our rather dark state, what he brings is so different. It's full of surprises. And in the West particularly, we think we are the world. We think we are the technologically advanced. We think we are the ones who've got it all by the tail. And when Jesus comes into our world, it's really hard for us to believe we don't. But that's really what he invites us to. He invites us as he invited his disciples. He says, follow me into a way of living that you've never lived before. That's what the kingdom of heaven is, the kingdom of God is. And where we get stuck so often is we become adults rather than stay as little children. So we're not open to being surprised. And we're too sophisticated because we don't believe very much. So what we're talking about today is faith and unbelief, which is not have you become a Christian, which is the kind of boring bottom line. But we're talking about the faith of those who say they follow Jesus. And how do they, um, how do they grow? And how much does unbelief affect their growth? Because unbelief is basically, when it comes to Jesus, unbelief is about my staying in the natural what I see, what I think, what I feel, what I've experienced, all that stuff. It's, uh, that's really the basis, the core of unbelief.
To doubt and unbelief trap us, keep us confined to this world and to the natural of this world. And if we read through any of the Gospels where Jesus is leading his disciples, that's their attention all the time. He's continually breaking into their paradigms and saying, look, there's a bigger view here. And then he's demonstrating that with the power. He has the smoking stick, which is the power of God. And he introduces them to what it is like to live on this earth as an heir of the king, as a child of the king of kings. And he says, you're actually going to be able to do this yourselves. And they can't believe that, as we can't believe it. So we build theologies defining our weakness and defending our weakness rather than allowing him to push our paradigms into what his kingdom is all about. And so in Matthew 4, Jesus uh, he demonstrates the kingdom of God within the context of this world by healing and by bringing uh, new life to people who are crippled or who are despairing. Um, let me just... Uh, In Matthew 4, Jesus uh, demonstrates the kingdom on earth, which is, is like settlers, I suppose, coming onto, into North America and demonstrating all the sophisticated things they brought with them. Except Jesus didn't bring disease, he brought healing. And we read in Je- uh, verse 23 of Matthew, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. Because he said, well, you know, that's God's penicillin. The power of the Spirit is God's penicillin. It's normal. And yet, 2,000 years ago, we're still struggling to say, what is normally supernatural? Because we've lost our faith, we've lost, we live in unbelief most of the time. So we learn how to, in Jesus' name, comfort the sick, but not heal the sick. Because we don't believe he can use us. Because the paradigm is too radical for us. And it seems that Jesus, when he went around as we, as the, he said, as you are a king, as you are a citizen of the kingdom, Uh, you will have that power. It's similar to, there is a difference in other words. There's an authority and a difference. And maybe one example of that is is when, um, of of that difference of citizenship is when Paul is flogged. He's he's in Jerusalem and he's uh, spoken about Jesus and he's given a testimony and he's beaten up for it. I mean, it's, it's no fun. You know, pretend this is a synagogue, he gives a talk and then he goes out and gets flogged. And somewhere along he says, I count this all joy. And you go, you're crazy. But he's committed to saying, this is life. And uh, he's about to be flogged. And, and Paul is a bright lad. And he's also, I think, got a bit of a sharp tongue and a, and a wicked wit. And he says, uh, the centurion, uh, what is he? as they stretched him out to flog him, can you see this? Paul said to the centurion, you can, you know, looking over his shoulder, he's about to be flogged, he says, um, by the way, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen? Whoa. <laughs> Who hasn't even been found guilty? Suddenly they're nervous. When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander, because you always go to somebody else so that you're not responsible. 
And he reported it. And what are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. And even in this situation, Paul can't resist. But I was born a citizen. And I think that's the kind of spunk that God is looking for in his people. Do what you will with me, but I'm a citizen of the king. And one day you will answer. So flog me if you will. But we wouldn't get into the position that Paul found himself without exercising faith. Without believing that there's something worth being flogged for. There's something worth standing for. There's something worth suffering for. There's something worth being broken for. It's a very hard concept for us in our culture. See, it seems to me that what God says in his word is that love needs to be expressed. As does compassion. And as does the power of the Father. Love without power or a response is mere sentimentality. Compassion without a response is pity or really indifference. And knowing the love of the Father's heart without sharing that love is cruel. And what strikes me is that it, it seems where Jesus speaks to us or we, through, the, through the account of healing that girl, there seems to be a correlation between the presence of God and his healing power and faith. So when Jesus went to visit that girl, he only took three of his disciples, his closest disciples. And when he came there, he asked everybody to leave because they were laughing at him. Dead is dead. And I would imagine I'd probably be laughing at him too. Because I've never seen anybody rise from the dead. I think we'd all be laughing with him. We'll see in that uh, video that we saw on Tuesday night that's talking about the movement of God around the world. There's one guy who will give a testimony. He was, he was mugged outside the church and killed. And they prayed over him and he was totally healed. And he was dead and he came alive and everything in you goes, nah, that's... It's movie magic. Heidi Baker's ministry in, in, in Mozambique will talk about you know, 60 documented raisings from the dead in the last 10 years. But everything in me goes, nah. And you hear the pastors prayed over this woman for two days. In the last, you know, 40, after 40 hours she starts breathing and you go, whew, now there's tenacity. Cool mysteries. But how big is our God is what we're talking about. How, how much do you think he could do or wants to do? 
And Jesus says, you know, in, verse, in John 14, you, you know these verses, John 14, he's, you know, he's, uh, I'll just summarise, he, he just says to his disciples, you'll do greater things than these. What I've been doing is cool, but you can get to do it as well. He's really into sharing. He says, you guys can do this as well. But why? Because Jesus was perfectly human. He had no advantage other than he was in a perfect relationship with his father, but he was perfectly human in terms of his power and his ability. And that's why he said, when I go and I send you the Spirit, you can do exactly what I've been doing. What you're going to work with is believing you can do it and then trying it and doing it. In Hebrews, the, chapter, the, the passage we read out of Hebrews 3, it's a very sobering passage because they're talking about the people who have left slavery in Egypt. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. Do not harden your hearts. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first and has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. And he goes on to describe the, the wandering in the desert and the coming into the promised land, but they couldn't get into the promised land because they didn't believe. And so because of unbelief, they, they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. And this is my greatest terror. Is God have already wandered around the desert for many years. And I don't want to keep doing that. So I pray that you will help me to believe what I don't yet see. And you will help me to understand that I am a giant, not a grasshopper, because you are my Lord. And I'm going to walk in faith even though they look like giants. And even though I feel like a grasshopper, because you are not. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, and entering his rest means what? It means you can actually walk in with confidence, with assurance, and an, incredibly, uh, an incredible anointing of peace. That means, when I'm fighting, I look like this. When I'm taking down strongholds, I look like this. And someone says, don't you care? No, but Jesus is Lord and he's my fortress and he's my refuge and he's my strength. So, battle looks like this. Which is cool, doesn't it? Because you look so self-assured. You look like you're trusting somebody else. You look like you're not paranoid about your own weakness. You look like you're really together because you're so broken you have nothing to offer. Unless he does it, we're hooped anyway. But we don't get to look like this with one prayer and wake up in the morning. We have to follow Jesus to that place of trust so that we learn how to rest in the midst of the storm. For we also have, the, have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value. 
because those who heard did not combine it with faith they had been set free from Egypt they had been given a place to go but they didn't believe it was true they loved the freedom from slavery but they never entered into the fullness of what they were meant to have their children did but they didn't the adults didn't I don't know about you but I think that's what we all hunger for Lord we need more of the promised land and I believe his voice is saying to us uh, you can have it all you just need to walk in step by step which leads us to faith their faith was they heard the message but it was not combined with faith therefore it was of no value so the question we're asking today really very simply is how is your faith growing okay now we, this, that's, you've been through the toughest part now we'll just give you some pictures there you go There's, uh, if any resemblance to anybody here is absolutely coincidental <laughs> faith is like a plant it's not like the pot it's the faith is the plant you have to nurture it and it will grow I wonder if any of you have got a pot plant somewhere in your house that's kind of had it it's kind of, anybody want to put anybody got that well you have a visible you don't need to look so proud about it um, those withered plants are an indication of what happens with faith that doesn't get any attention I mean you could say yep I bought this plant in 1955 you know, and I've put it on the front mantelpiece and I, bla- I praise God for that plant and you go but all you've got is a pot with dirt in it well there was a plant you see faith is not something that is just to look at it's something to be nurtured and to be exercised and so if we don't water, if we don't nurture it, it will wither and die. So we think of, uh, I'm, I'm going to use as an analogy, faith being like a, um, a ladder. Thank you, Jean. A ladder is symbolic of whatever we believe in. And we can have multiple ladders. A ladder is stuck in the ground and it's, it can be moving upward but a ladder starts off horizontal, it's lying on the ground. Thank you. So it's got potential but if it's not picked up it doesn't do anything. So I can believe but if I don't do anything with that belief it's of no value. So if we go to the next slide, I can believe the, the, the supports of that ladder are, are the Bible. If you're not reading the Bible, the Bible is like God's resume. You know, it's like what He's done with everybody else. So, if you want to know God's character, you not want to know how He deals with situations, how He gets on with people, what He wants to speak to you about. If you're never reading the Bible, forget it. You have no chance of building faith in Jesus. You won't get it any other way. So, one of the real strengths, one of the p- pillars of faith. Is, is reading the scriptures even if it's three verses a day 
Getting into the habit of reading the verses is like saying, Lord, here I am. You're dialing, you know, pretend it's a cell phone. Just pretend the Bible is a cell phone and dial a number. Say, Lord, I want to hear you speak. And on the other side is your conversation with him. You can tell him all the things that are bothering you and you can tell him all that's going on. And then you listen. And part of listening is also reading his word. Now that interaction is essential for faith to grow. If that's not there, it's not going to happen. So there are a lot of people who have ladders lying on the ground and they believe in Jesus actually. But it just lies on the ground. They say, I believe in Jesus. Yeah. And I read the Bible and I, I pray. But it's all horizontal on the ground. And you go, yeah, and so? And then you go say, well, what ladder do you live by? Because everybody lives by faith. The ladder you live by is the one that you go to when you're under pressure. So you go, I can have believe in Jesus, but when things get really tight, I go to the bank. My real faith is in money. My real faith is in another person. Or my real faith is in my brain. Or my real faith is in keeping my job. Or my real faith is fill in the blank. And that's the ladder that you actually live on. That's what happened in Nazareth. They had plenty of faith, but none in Jesus. The wonderful thing about God when he said, I so love the world that I sent my son, was that his son did stuff. He was committed. And he lived it out. And he says, you follow me by faith. So, let's go to the next slide. I can't remember what it is. The... One of the ways of discerning your ladder is also discerning who you and what you worship. Now worship is very simply whatever you boast about, whatever you trust in. Worship is what lifts the ladder from the horizontal up. Because whatever you feel is most important in your life is what you worship and that's where your ladder will hitch onto. That's why worship is so important because you can come in in all kinds of disarray and you say Jesus is Lord, God is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the ladder moves up. And your eyes lift up and you start saying, oh, I got stuck on the horizontal again. And now he lifts up and says, let's reestablish the paradigms. That's why worship is a discipline. It's not just kind of when I feel like it, because you'll never worship. Satan will say, I'll stop you feeling. That's easy. Worship is a discipline to raise the ladder up so that there's a connection between God and me and us. It's called beginning to exercise faith. My faith is rooted in God is great, I am not. He is perfect, I am not. He has gone to the cross, I haven't. He forgives my sin, I ask forgiveness. And out of that interaction, my faith gets raised up. Where I go, when I am at the end of myself, God says, well, look up and I'll show you that I'm here for you. He says, I go and prepare a place for you to come and when I come, I come back to take you to be with me. Well, this is about coming back to take you to be with me. Walking in faith. That was quick, eh? So what does this really look like in practice? Well, when you become a Christian, you say, 
Jesus, will you please come into my... I thank you that you died on the cross and I thank you that you have bridged the gap between me and God the Father. And I I want to identify with thank you that you went to the cross for my sin. Thank you that you raised from the dead and that you live. And because you live, I ask you to come into my heart and change me. So, faith is about putting your foot on the rung, which is about committing yourself to Jesus. So, what does it look like? It begins to be about trust, doesn't it? It begins to be about how am I going to follow Jesus? What does he say? I think the easiest way to build faith is to ask questions. It's to say, where, where is your faith now? Some of the, some, when, he, when Jesus first called his disciples, he said, follow me. Then they followed him and he began to do miracles and they began to question. And I believe the most effective way to build faith in our lives is very practically to ask questions. What is the next question you have for Jesus? What is the thing that's getting in the way of you going further up that ladder? Because if you don't ask the question, you just have these missing rungs. And then many of us who say, well, I don't believe that. And you go, well, how have you worked it out? And you haven't worked it out, just don't address the question. And those rungs are stapled between prayer and the Bible and the Spirit focused in a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus gives us promises and says, follow me, you will do greater things. Worship me, and that ladder will rise up. Put those rungs in place step by step. The rungs are the ex- stepping on the rung is the act of faith, isn't it? If you say you believe, then do it. If you can't do it, then tell me you can't do it, and I'll take you to the next one, or I'll answer your question. It's very, very simple. But it really comes down to, Lord, I don't even believe. Or, Lord, I don't even want to go up this ladder. I like the other one. I feel more secure on it. Well, then do that. You see, I don't think Jesus minds at all if I say to him, Lord, I actually feel more secure on this ladder, but I want to. I'd love to feel this way over here. And you say, okay, I'll teach you how to do that then. I'll lead you there. What's the problem? What's the question? What do you want me to do? I mean, he said to a blind man, he was looking straight into a blind man's face, he said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you think he's expecting to be said? I want to see. But he he likes the statement. He likes the interaction. And so I want to encourage us to actually ask the Lord to make us into a people who do not resemble Nazareth, but resemble a place where he says, I see faith here, they believe. Now, I can't make that happen for you and you can't make it happen for me. And your questions are going to be different from maybe my questions. We all have similar questions, but we all maybe have different times of asking those questions. But my dream of a church is a place where we can't keep up with the questions. 
aware that my email is just totally flooded with people saying, why this, how this, when? Rather than coaxing and, and, and uh, feeding unbelief, which is just resistance that says, I don't believe, say, Lord, teach me how to believe. And so my prayer is that God will continue to give us a hunger and thirst uh, from the premise that where I am now is not where he wants me to be and he's wanting to lead me into more and I absolutely believe that the more looks like more and more like what Jesus did on this earth where the, heal, where the sick are healed and the hungry are fed and lives are transformed by the power of the spirit not by counselling I think counselling is a very impoverished method of ministry which is what I do. But I still think it's really impoverished. I think there's a place for it, obviously, because we need one another and we need to have conversations. But I certainly believe uh, God can do much more than I can ask or imagine. And so my question is, Lord, just help us to know how. And together He will teach us if we're hungry, if we're wanting it, if we're questioning and risking. And finally, the thing that I think is so important is that we, we have fun doing it and we don't mind making mistakes. Do you know who Ulysses Grant is? You do? I'm impressed. I didn't know who he is. Who was? He was the President of the United States. General of the the Union Army and uh, President Second. Can we see that? I've got another little clip for you to encourage you. You think that's cool? Isn't that encouraging for us? It's not about failing. It's about keeping on trying. It's not about saying, Lord, it's all got to happen just like that. It's, got to, it's about, Lord, teach me how. And what God is wanting to do with us, I believe, is just build up our faith muscle. And he does that by giving us opportunities and us risking. And as long as we risk with respect and we risk with love, he will teach us. Because most of what we're risking is, how do I dial down myself so I can hear him? How can I actually learn how to listen in the midst of being obedient. And I'm sure the principle is the same as, for instance, learning how to stand up here and speak in public. I started terrified, absolutely terrified. Until eventually, practice and learning, you just learn how to be. And you can't teach somebody else that. They have to learn how to be themselves, which means they have to go through the shaking, terrified bit themselves. No amount of prayer and anointing will take away the growth that needs to take place in order to come to the place where you're comfortable or where you're not totally terrified. And that's when you can start listening. And you, you know, people say you can think on your feet. Well, that's where you learn how to think on your feet. And we all have different areas of that expertise where what we do, somebody else will look at and say, I wish I could do it. And Jesus really was saying all the time, of course you can. I'll teach you. But 
But faith means getting on that rung. What's the next rung that you need to take hold of and say, Lord, I need to learn this. I need more practice in this. So if you want life and you want to grow in faith, we need to risk. And they two just go together all the time. And I think that's how Paul eventually ended up with the audacity to turn around and say, excuse me, do you know who you're flogging right now? He had already been flogged. He learned how to be at peace in prison. He learned how to trust the faithfulness of Jesus when he was without anything. I don't know what the next step is for you, but I pray that we would be a people who hunger and thirst for more faith, but that faith is practically expressed. So let's be a people who don't remind Jesus of Nazareth, but remind him of life on the Jericho Road, where there's a hustle and a bustle, there's dust and there's all kinds of people, but there's also power and compassion. Let's pray.